Good morning, everyone. It's Happy Father's Day. Hopefully, everyone's been given their little card. Like, I got one. Says Daddy. Um, it's cool to see that your teenage daughters and, and kids still call you Daddy. I hope that never stops. Um, but it is a pleasure to be a father, and it is a pleasure to uh, see God's grace and faith sustained fatherhood. We're trying to celebrate that a little bit this morning. Um, and in an effort to do that, Brian and I talked briefly, and we felt like it might be helpful for those online, as well as in our cafe here this morning, to actually hear from a professional dad, um, someone who's way more qualified than I am to speak about fatherhood. And we checked it out, and I couldn't find one in the yellow pages. Um, Brian looked too. We Googled it. Um, we checked pretty much every resource we could find, and, and we just couldn't find professional dads anywhere. And so if you know of some, we'd sure like to talk to them. But in lieu of that, I realized that I had a, a very treasured resource in my own home. And, and that is a dad who's been a dad for 50 years. Now, he hasn't been a dad to me for 50 years. Let me make that very clear. He's only been a dad to me for 40-something years. But my brother is nine years older than me, so I just want you to keep that into account when I express how old my dad is. So what I thought would be cool uh, is to have my father come up. I'm going to ask him one question. And then I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to have my daughter, Bethany, come up. And we're going to talk just a little bit in real-world terms about what fatherhood might look like, uh, a spiritual context for it, and then just some real practical, real-life stuff for dads out there who are trying to figure it out, like me. Um, and then we're actually going to preach about it. But I thought this would be cool as sort of think of this as like a, uh, a kid's sermon on steroids. Um, but I really, in, in all seriousness, I want to invite my dad, Wooly. Come on up, Dad. It's time. And Bethany, you get to come up too. And I just want to do a, a brief interview format here and ask a couple questions that hopefully will be helpful to you and that will be encouraging and, and even instructive. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my dad. Since it's Father's Day, I'm going to brag on him a little bit. My dad has followed Jesus Christ since before I was born. So he's been a follower of Jesus for over 40 years. Mom's crying already. And it, he has been a faithful husband and father. Very faithful. And the one thing I remember about my dad is that he never started a day without getting on his knees before the Lord. Not one time. That's a, that's a lifetime of faithfulness. And so even though the Yellow Pages didn't have professional dad listing, I realized my basement did. My parents live with us in our basement. <laughs> It's a cool basement. Don't, don't feel too bad for them. Uh, they have quite a bit of space. And when they're nice, we let them out. Uh, 
But those of you who come on Wednesday nights and enjoy Life Group, you've, you've been in the basement and you've seen just how terrible it is. Um, but I realized my dad really is a treasure. And I also realized statistically that uh, 55% of marriages end in divorce. And that of the, fi- the 45% who didn't end in divorce, about 55% of those people are estranged from their fathers. And so there's a real challenge here when we celebrate Father's Day. It's not, it's not as if every family has a happy memory of their father. And it's not as if everyone has a good relationship with their father. And so I thought it would be helpful to model and show you what a healthy father looks like beyond scripture in real life and ask him a question that I think might be helpful. And the question is this, Dad, and you get to speak right in here. And I'm going to step back. The question is, after 50 years of being a father and a grandfather, after serving the Lord faithfully, in the ups and downs of the spiritual journey that you've been on, the foundation, the heritage, all that you have poured into your family. For the dads that are sitting out there, for the dads that are watching us online, what one significant factor would you say was more important than any other in being able to sustain your life and your faith as a father? Now, that's a big question. I'll do my best to say it in the short term. But I think the real key is to be an example to your children and to teach them through your example in times of real trouble. When everything's falling apart, when, when life is dealing you on the downside, so to speak, that they watch how their parents and their fathers primarily as leaders in the family, how they respond to that. That's what makes it true. Hmm. I think of uh, an example that uh, Christ talked about in the, in the Word of God, that uh, when men ought to be grow up in Christ and eat meat instead of just drinking milk. And only you know where you fit into these categories. I'm not judging anybody. But we need, men need to grow up in Christ because if they don't grow up, their children can't. Hmm. So that's where the real issue lies. As the other day I was meditating on these very issues and I remembered that Christ is called the rock and he's the foundation of our lives but he is also at the top of this rock it's a cliff going straight up and for fathers need to get certain scriptures that's unique for them or not unique to them that they stand on under any condition. Uh, The Lord will never leave me, never forsake me. Um, All things are working together for good to those that love God, to those who are the called according to, to the word. And so, um, what do we do when these times come 
and I'm around a lot of them that are struggling in their homes and so forth. And the issue is, how do you respond to that? In 2 Corinthians uh, 1, it talks about you learning how to respond so you can help others to respond. But you can't do that if you haven't learned that. So on this rock, I think there is steps that you stand on, on scriptures that you stand on all the time. I think of Psalm 39, and, uh, excuse me, 23. I think of First uh, uh, Colossians 3, 1 through 3. I think of uh, the Lord's Prayer and the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. Those I read and pray about almost every day. I need to be reminded that when we're down, we're not down. When we're at the bottom, God says that we are in privilege. So as we go through that, he said, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you will be filled. Filled with righteousness just because you hunger and thirst. To seek those things which are above and to set your affection on those, not on things of the earth. And those are rock solid in my life. So it's like you take a step on one of those promises. And then you take a step on another one of those promises. And then you reach out with your hand and get a hold of a new one. Mm. And as you're doing that, you're going up this rock and Christ is up there at the top. And by the way, you don't have to worry about falling. The Holy Spirit is your line, your safety line. And as you're going up, he's calling you to come up, come up. No more to drink just milk, but to eat meat. Mm. And so as you're going up this, the Lord's down there encouraging you on, encouraging you on. But I don't think that there's going to be much in your family until the fathers take their place. That's their responsibility, and I'm for every one of them. And I'm not saying it's easy. Um, it's always tough. But the issue is, guys, it'll save your family. It'll save your friends. So these would be my encouragements to you. I love the 23rd Psalm. Lord's my shepherd. I shall not need. God supplies all of our needs. God will prepare yeah. a table in the presence of our enemies. So these are the issues. You've got to find yours. But you get them so rock solid in your life. And when something hits, you don't go down. You stand firm. I think God will meet you in a mighty way. And your family. Look here. That's good. Yeah, and he, and he can actually, you know, he can actually say that because he's done it. Um, he's not a poser. <laughs> you can't fake it for, for 50 years. But what I can tell you is that these principles of Scripture, when you grab a promise for your life or a conviction that you have that God's called you to do something, to be something, to be somewhere, to do an assignment, these promises that he's talking about, they, they anchor you 
when everything starts to not make sense. Um, and, and the parable for that in the scripture is when you build your house on the sand or you build your house on a rock. And Jesus said, if you're building your house on sand, when, when life hits you, it's going to disintegrate. If you're building your house upon the rock, upon the word of God, then you can handle it because of where your foundation has been laid. And so this, this is my dad. I'm proud of him. Happy Father's Day. Thank you, son. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, the hard part is next. Uh, this was something I had to consider a little bit before I, I agreed to do this. Um, since I'm still a father in training, and I don't consider myself you know, to have arrived in any way, I, I'm with fear and trembling giving this to my daughter, Bethany, who has uh, had her license now for about three months. Is that right? So for you dads who are raising teenagers... This is a 16-year-old daughter who I'm very proud of and I love with all my heart. I will not tell you what I call her privately, but is this, I can tell Her name is Munchkinaroo, um, and will be forever. But uh, Bethany is, is probably the most like me of the three that I have. Jessica is behind the camera over there. She's 17 and uh, going on 30. And uh, Caleb is 14. He'll be starting high school in the, in the fall. But of the, of the three that I have, this one would remind me the most of me at this age. And uh, she just got her nose pierced yesterday. So if that, if that gives you any idea of, of where we're at. But this is a daughter who I believe has a huge call on her life, that she has some things she's supposed to do for Jesus. And uh, I wanted to ask her a question from the perspective of a 16-year-old about fathers. Because... I think for those of, her, those of us who are trying to raise kids in a technology generation, we're a little lost. Things are happening pretty fast. We've got, you know, we've got instant communication that, that even for us hip dads, you know, we're having a really hard time with. I was told I was a hip dad because I let her get her nose pierced, but I'm not sure that's true. But the point is, we as fathers are trying to figure out what is healthy and what's not healthy for our kids. What should they be allowed to watch? What should they be allowed to surf? What should they be allowed to be participating in online or with their friends? And then we have this whole onslaught of, on family values. I mean, almost every significant movie or television series that's being produced in Hollywood, almost every, not all, has an agenda hidden underneath it. And the agenda is some form of an attack on the sacredness of marriage, the sanctity of life, you know, the covenant of the home, that's all just sort of under attack all the time. And so our kids are having to filter this. If you're a Christian parent, you have really two options. You can either completely lose your mind or you can get on your knees. And what I've chosen to do is to get on my knees because I can't figure it out. I cannot protect this one from all of the influences of this world. I can't. And for some of us parents, we're struggling with that right now. We're trying to figure out how do we protect our kids. Well, there's some things we can do and there's some things we can't. But instead of me trying to explain that to you, I thought it might be better to ask her the question and say, Bethany, what advice would you give parents of teenagers today as they try to raise their kids to follow Jesus? What would you, what would you sense would be important? Now be very respectful. Um, I think that I would say the best thing 
um, this is sort of me personally, but also with talking with friends at school and seeing how kids react. I don't think it's any sort of secret that kids don't like to be told what to do. Nobody really does. And even though that's not obviously always an option, you can't just say, well, I'm just going to do what I want, free will, you know. It's a free country. I can do whatever I want. I don't think that really plays any context all the time, especially when you're growing up. Um, but I do think that one of the best ways that a parent can um, show their love to their kids um, and show them the right way or the way that they hope that they choose to um, grow up and live is just by being the role model that they want their children to grow up to be. I think that it's um, important to not only speak and tell them and talk to them and be involved with them, but to also model that, to not just say something, but to actually follow through with it, to show it on a daily basis, and to um, let them sort of watch you, follow you, like on the video where the little boy is following his dad. His dad didn't say anything in the video. His dad didn't, um, he, there were no words in that. It was just his um, son following him, and I think that that's the best thing, is to let them follow you to let them see what um, what you do. Thank you. That was really good. I'm glad she kept that down. That's good. Thank you. Thank you for participating. Uh, so neither one of them knew the answer the other would give. And so it was the same answer, wasn't it? The answer was, do this faithfully. Follow God faithfully. Be in his word regularly. Live it. Don't talk about it. Now, I'm going to mention uh, that I have probably messed up being a father worse than almost anyone either watching or in this room. Uh, it was nine years ago that I became a believer in Jesus Christ. And it was in the middle of a separation of two years and a divorce from my wife. And so my kids were submitted to chaos and stress at a very young age. This isn't a fairy tale. This stuff that Jesus does for your life, it's real. It's actually the only real thing I know. And you can, you can look back on your own experiences with your fathers. You can look back if you're old enough and look at your kids and say, this is what I regret doing. I don't really have to know the details to tell you that Jesus is enough to fix it. All you have to do is just talk to one of my kids. Talk to my wife. Talk to my dad. Find out what Jesus can do in the most terrible of home situations. Things that no therapist or book is going to fix. Things that common earthly wisdom and experiences can't heal. But when Jesus is allowed into your life, into your marriages, into your homes, into your families, things are going to change. And I'm living proof of that. So if you, if you look at my life, you can say, that's a billboard of grace. My life. Because I did everything you could do wrong. Twice. Really badly. And God still redeemed it. So, if that was the only story we had to share this morning, that would just be Brad's story. It would just be the Matthias family story. But there's actually a bigger story here that I want to share with you. And it's in the verses that we talked about 
and read earlier. So if you would, look in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. I have a a brief thought that I want to hopefully tie together this this fatherhood thing. Luke chapter 8, and I called this at the feet of Jesus. Because really, what healed my marriage, what healed my home, what, what healed the wounds that I had put into my children was when I sat at the feet of Jesus. That's when everything changed. And I found out after I became a Christian, I started reading the Word. I think he's been doing this for 2,000 years. So let's read a story about how Jesus changed a life that was so messed up, so broken, so incomprehensibly lost that no one could help but Jesus. Looking at Luke chapter 8, verses 26, I'm going to give you some context. Jesus has just been at Capernaum. He's coming across the lake. There's a massive storm. The disciples freak, and Jesus says, chill. I've got this. That's my paraphrase. What that means is Jesus is showing to his disciples, I can control the weather. There is nothing on this earth naturally occurring that I cannot deal with. I created it. I can control it. Okay, so that's your, that's your takeaway. And that's the, that's the mindset the disciples are in as they get out of this boat. And the first thing they're confronted with in, in Luke chapter 8 is an absolutely out-of-control, demon-possessed man. Yeah, pretty intense. Verse 30, let's jump. Um, let's jump to verse 28. They come up, they come up on this man who is naked, He's living in the, the cemetery. He's cutting himself. And I, and I can only imagine what he would look and feel and smell like to be in his presence. But uh, let's just suffice it to say that the condition of this man was beyond recovery. He had been outcast from society to the point where they just chained him up in the cemetery. I mean, it sounds like a, a horror flick. And it sounds like something you might see at the movies. But this was real. This really happened. And so this is the situation that Jesus has just crossed the lake for. He's just stopped the storms. And he brings his disciples with him. He walks up to this guy. And it's, it's pretty remarkable. When the guy sees Jesus, verse 28, he cries out, falls down before him, and he says with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Wow. Jesus asked a question in verse 30. What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they, the demons, begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. If you read past Luke 8, you're going to see him step into a situation where an elderly woman and a young woman are healed of a terrible sickness. One who's died, one who's dying. So part three of this little trip around the lake, uh, the Sea of Galilee, Jesus, part one, he takes care of the storm. In part three, he takes care of physical ailments. This is part two that we're focusing on in Luke 8. Jesus in this situation is going to show to his disciples that he has control, total control over the supernatural. There's nothing demonically that has the authority to resist Jesus. And so he's showing to his apostles, his, his apostles-to-be, his disciples that are in the boat with him, he's showing to them there is not a single thing you're going to encounter in your life 
that I cannot deal with. Wow. On reflection, that's pretty comprehensive. He is literally giving them an A to Z of life. And he's saying, I don't care what you encounter as a follower of Jesus, I've got an answer. It's here. And he gives one of the most extreme examples that could ever be given. In fact, it still stands in history as an icon. There's movies that are made about it. There's a movie that came out a few weeks ago called The Right with Anthony Hopkins. It's about a Catholic priest who exercises demons. That is based on this. Most of the horror flicks in Hollywood that have to do with demon possession are based on this extraordinary, radically insane man. It's become an icon of how messed up you can get. And Jesus walks into it like a knife through hot butter. Done. It's over. I mean, there's not even a lot of discussion about it. He says, what's your name? Get out of here. Now, that is sort of drama and it's exciting, but I want to talk about it in real terms today because we have a focus on four wins here for families. We're feeling God saying we have to contend for the integrity of a family. So let's look at this from the the perspective of a marriage and some kids. Let's look at this demoniac as more than just an icon of demonic possession. Let's look at him maybe as a symbol of something else, something a little more relatable. I don't know anyone that runs around naked, lives in a tomb, and is full of 6,000 demons. I don't know that person. But I've met a few that are messed up. I've met a few that are struggling. I've met a few that are paralyzed by fear. I've met a few people who are struggling with depression, people who are worn out from life or trying to figure out how to make the mortgage payment. I've met those people. And if you take the time to read into this, theologians over the last 2,000 years have really researched this. And one of the strongest things that comes back is that this, this term legion was picked because it represents the largest single organized part of the Roman army. There were over 6,000 infantry and cavalry in a legion. I think it's meant to be symbolic that no matter how messed up you are, no matter how much of the evil one you've allowed to influence your life, no matter how bound in the bondages of addiction or lust or sin or despair or deceit or brokenness or abuse, whatever's been heaped upon your life, whatever's been piled up on you to the point where you can't even see over the top, even if there's 6,000 things wrong with you, Jesus is saying, I can fix that. I can fix that for you. In my day job, I work at a place called iShine, iShine Ministries with Bema Media in Nashville. And we're focused exclusively on tweens, preteens, 7 to 12-year-olds. What we find out from the statistics, from the research, what we're dealing with is that kids are carrying around legions of problems. So as much as I want to talk to the parents, and I do want to talk to you parents, I also want to talk to the kids. Because what they're struggling with and what they're dealing with and what they're embracing is an issue of identity. They've got a world that's telling them for them to be valuable, they have to dress specifically like iCarly. Who dresses very well. But that's not going to make you valuable. To be admired, you have to be successful, is another thing that they're told. 
To be popular, you have to be a cheerleader. That's another thing they're told. And they just believe it. And those things layer up. In the Bible, you rarely ever hear of something called a demon. What you hear about is something called a foul spirit, which is an utterance that's impure. That's the actual Greek in it. It's an utterance that's impure. So when you start thinking about all the utterances that our kids are hearing that are impure, that are impure, that are foul, that are filthy, now you're getting an understanding of how this demoniac could suddenly be in your home. Your kids are being laid down with this stuff. Now, what's really radical is you start to realize that, that there are movements within our subculture that start to look like this guy. People who are obsessed with death. People who are obsessed with cutting people who are completely out of control emotionally and surrender themselves to their anger or their pain or their lust. Now we're starting to see this legion come alive in our own home, right? He's no longer just a crazy guy that they make movies about. This is actually something that might actually be growing up. It's not external yet. It's not naked and running around with a crazy mind. But internally, it's starting to chew on your kid's soul. Now, as parents, we can get that. We can sort of sort that out. But as fathers, we have a responsibility to do something about it. So being Father's Day, I thought I'd raise that question. When was the last time you fathers spent an hour in prayer asking God to show you what's going on with your kids? Man, it's hard to do that. It's hard to find an hour, period. But I want to challenge fathers this week. Ask God to show you what's going on in your kids' lives. You will. And ask your kids who they are. That's what Jesus did. What's your name? Who are you? Are you a believer in Jesus? Most of your kids are going to say yes, but I don't want you to accept that. I want you to ask them who Jesus is to them. We did that in the teen group, or the, the young adult, two weeks ago. We're going to talk about it tonight. Who's Jesus? What are you going to do with this Jesus guy? Dads. Don't let the moms lead in this area. They will if you don't do anything. If you bail on them, they are going to have to step up, and God will honor it. But it's not the way it's intended to be. It's really important that as fathers, we become sensitive to the influences that are coming into our homes, that are affecting our kids' lives, that are forming impressions of their identity right now. We have to battle for them. All of that happens when we sit at Jesus' feet. So when we pray, we're sitting at the feet of Jesus. We're doing what has to be done to find out more about our kids. In closing, I sense online, in particular, people who are watching us, some of you have been wounded by your father so terribly, you can't even comprehend what a healthy father relationship might feel or look like. I can't fix that for you. I I can't step across and make it right. But I know the one who can. And his name is Jesus Christ. And some of you know all about him, but you've never actually trusted him enough to become your Lord, your father, your leader, your role model, your guide. And I want to tell you that he's trustworthy. There is nothing that you've done that is going to exempt you from his love. There is nothing that you can do 
that will break his love for you. He's not like any father you've ever had. He's the real one. He's called Abba, Father, which we translate Daddy. That's the Father that's crying out for you. A couple of observations as we think about this passage and we get ready for communion. You guys realize that Jesus made a special trip for this man in Luke chapter 8? Look at the scripture. He got in a boat. He left his, his base in Capernaum. And he went across to the Gerasenes side of the lake. It was a journey. And it doesn't show that he had any other reason to be there but to, to talk with this man. If you feel isolated, you feel cut off, you feel like you've got no hope, whether you're a parent or a kid or a single adult, Jesus is coming for you. Yeah. He's got a boat. He's coming. He's not going to just let you live in death. He's not going to let you go to the grave without an encounter with him. He cares too much. He's coming for you. And he's going to ask you the question. What do you say that I am? Who am I? We all have to answer it. He's the son of the most high God. There's only one of those. He has all authority on heaven and on earth. There is no wound. There is no problem. There is no sin too great for him. And anyone who tells you otherwise is lying. Jesus is coming for you. He's going to confront you. He's going to tell you that he loves you. He's going to ask you to trust him. And if nothing else from this service this morning, my, my hope is that you will. Because he's trustworthy. And I want to read one last verse out of Ezekiel 37. This is the core verse for what we're here for, what we do, what we believe here at Four Winds. Verse 11. Then God said to him, Ezekiel, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Israel is symbolic of his people. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord. And when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. And then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. And I will do it, declares the Lord. This is the foundational scripture to everything you're seeing and hearing this morning. This is the call that God put on Brian and I to do. This passage in Luke 8 is a mirror in the New Testament of this promise made thousands of years before. Jesus went and literally did what he's promised he would do in Ezekiel 37. 
He walked into Luke 8 and said, Grave, let go of this guy. No, you cannot have him. He's mine. 6,000 demons have to go. By the way, I think the reason they went to the pigs, which is a whole cool theological discussion, is he wanted to prove to the man they were really gone. They're not coming back. You're free from this. Jesus is about raising dead things to life. It's what he does. If you've got kids in crisis, if you've got homes that are destroyed, if you've got marriages in shambles, they're dead. Guess what? I know a guy who makes a, a total joke of that problem and says, I can fix anything. Look at this crazy demoniac. I can fix it all. If you just come and sit at my feet. So, let's do that. This week and next week and for the rest of our lives, let's make a habit of getting in the Word of God, listening to what He has to say, pressing into God's Holy Spirit and asking the Holy Spirit to show us how to be parents, how to be fathers, how to be husbands. And you're going to mess up. Who cares? Step out. Get out of the boat. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you and we are grateful for your presence. We are grateful for your word. We are grateful for your forgiveness. I am most grateful that you saved me from a mess that I had made of my life. And I know that I know that I know that you can do it for anyone that's hearing these words. And you gave us this incredibly absurd example here in Luke 8 of a man who was so out of control. It's beyond our ability to really grasp. And yet you fixed it in a heartbeat. And that promise hangs out there for all of us. So like the man who was healed, Lord, we want to go on mission for you. As you healed him, you said to him, don't follow me. Go and tell people your story. Go tell them what I've done for you. And start in your own home. And for that, Lord, we commit ourselves. And with your power and your grace and your Holy Spirit, we believe that will be effective. In Jesus' name, amen.